Welcome to the Market Leaders Podcast, where you'll find valuable marketing and business development insights from innovative thinkers. The podcast series is brought to you by Ackert, the company behind Pipeline Plus. Tired of overcomplicated CRM? Pipeline Plus is the easiest business development tool you'll ever use. It helps you organize and focus on your most important relationships with instructional e-learning tutorials and concrete suggestions from our built-in AI. Pipeline Plus gives you everything you need to get new business from your existing network. Visit ackertinc.com to learn more. Hello and welcome back to the Market Leaders podcast. I'm David Ackert and today my guest is Sadie Barron, the Chief Marketing Officer at Reed Smith. Sadie, great to have you on the show today. Thank you very much for asking me to participate. Sadie, tell us a little bit about your background and the background of your firm, Reed Smith. Yes, certainly. I'll start with the firm. I think one of the things that we do really well is our industry-led approach. We're very focused around that. We only have five that we try and make sure that we're top of mind for our clients in that industry. And they actually make up a huge percentage of the turnover of the firm. Great culture. Of course, I'm going to say that I'm the CMO of the law firm, <laughs> but genuinely, I think we have a very unique DNA here at Reed Smith, and I'm sure we'll get into talking a little bit about that throughout the podcast. For me personally, I've been with the firm nearly nine years. I think my anniversary is next week. I'm a 20-something year veteran of professional services marketing. I've been in law for the vast majority of it, although I did have a very brief spell with PwC, which was fantastic and I loved it. But the reality was that they really didn't need me in the role that I was there. So when the opportunity came up to join Reed Smith, I jumped at it and I've not looked back since. I'm responsible for quite a considerable budget because I do pick up things like practice development spend on my remit. I have staff worldwide everywhere from San Francisco to Singapore. We do operate a very global approach to our marketing, business development and communications. So I hope that tells you a little bit about what we do. It's a big job. <laughs> Pretty much, I'm sure anybody of an Amlaw 50 uh, CMO role would say the same. <laughs> well, I'm sure they would. But what they might not be able to talk about is how you have approached this challenge of differentiating a large firm amidst all the other AMLAW 50s or AMLAW even 100s, you know, they all have the same claims. We have offices everywhere. We have lots of excellent lawyers. We have all these industries that we service. I'm sure most of those industries overlap with the five that your firm focuses on. So talk to us a little bit about how you have gone about differentiating Reed Smith from the fray. Yeah, look, you're right, David. I think we'd all talk about being client-centric. And absolutely, we are. Clients are at the heart of everything that we do. Um, but when we thought about how we wanted to position ourselves in the market, in a really crowded market, and our research told us, and I'm going back about six years ago now, so when I took over as CMO, we wanted to try and work out where we sat, because there are very clear groupings of law firms. There are the firms that are just big they have 75 plus offices. They're pretty much in every corner of the earth. There's the firms that want to be seen as being hugely innovative and cutting edge. And they can be the perhaps, you know, more tech led firms or some of the firms that have the really big brainy partners. You have the firms that are boutique or niche. Perhaps they only specialize in insurance or they only specialize in litigation. And then you've got these sort of group of firms like our own who do all of that to some degree. And you have to stop and ask yourself, well, how are we genuinely going to set ourselves apart? And what our research told us, and something I'm incredibly proud of to this day, and this came from not just our clients and not just our staff, but it actually came from our competitors as well, because we went out and researched them is people really like being on the other side to Reed Smith. We're a nice firm to do business with. 
But what also came through really clearly was that we were really quick to try and get to the heart of the matter. We didn't try and elongate things unnecessarily. We were on the side of getting things done. What we were really there to do was drive progress for our clients. So when we got into understanding that, it led us to a discussion around being purpose-led. Why do we get up in the morning? Why do we come to work? And what do we do every day? Now, purpose-led brands is nothing new if we sit in 2022 and talk about it. But back in 2016, when we were looking at it, actually, it was quite an emerging term, particularly within law firms. I'd love to make the claim I was the first law firm brand to move to being purpose-led. I'm not sure I could actually genuinely make that. I'm sure I'd have a ton of CMOs who would be writing to me saying, no, we were. But I think we were in the first pack. And what the really big difference was, was we stopped talking about ourselves and we start talking about what it is you get when you work with Reed Smith. What is it that we're here to do? That point again, why do we gap in the morning and come to work? And the thing about being progressive for me is it's not just necessarily achieving one outcome. Progression to a client could be stopping something happening. So it's not this idea of necessarily always moving forward, but it's about being outcomes focused for us. To do that, again, part of our differentiation, I mentioned it already, is our sort of intense focus in just five key areas. And anyone out there listening, you know, I'm sure they're hoping for little nuggets of advice. I would say this is kind of right up there in my list of things that matter, is having a real true understanding of what it is you really want to focus on. If you're trying to focus on 50 things, you're never going to achieve that. The fact we only focus on five really makes me able to look around the corner for our clients in a much more in-depth way than perhaps other competitive law firms did. And that's why we ended up with driving progress and being a purpose-led brand. It also translates beautifully across your communities and it translates across your staff as well because you can actually internalize it. So yeah, that was a little bit about how we try and differentiate who we are at Reed Smith and why we think we have permission to say what we do. And that's another crucial point as well. It's all well and good to have a brand experience, but if it's actually not delivered, you might as well just rip it up and start again. So I'm delighted six years on that we can still continue to build out the evidence that we are a purpose-led, driven, progressive law firm. Well, I think it's such an important thing to be able to say not only this is who we are, but also this is who we're not, and to really establish that position in the client's mind that you are indeed the go-to for these specific areas. And I really appreciate your comments about being purpose-led and really reflecting on what is it ultimately that we're delivering to the client beyond legal services? Because again, that's what all the competitors are doing. Everybody's doing that. So where do we go beyond that? And uh, what is our purpose? And to distill that purpose, would you say it's to help the client progress and reach their goals? Or is there specific language that you've created around that purpose? Primarily, it is that what are we trying to achieve here? And then how are we trying to help our client get there? And what does it mean? I'm not going to lie. You know, it's still work in progress for us. There's no pun intended on the word progress there. But getting our own people to understand what we really meant by that is a journey that we do every day. So it translates tactically into the advice we give them and the way we give them advice. You know, we don't want them to receive 17 pages of technical legal jargon. What clients scream out for, and we know this because research tells us, is straightforward to the point advice with an opinion that is going to help them make the decision they need to make. We don't bury them in legal jargon. So it's about also the behavioral aspects of how we go about it as a firm. And again, we had permission to say that 
because that's what our clients told us they liked about working with Reed Smith. This idea of kind of getting to the heart of the matter really quickly doesn't mean we can't be tough when we need to be tough. Doesn't mean we can't be fast when we need to be fast. Doesn't mean we can't be big, thoughtful thinkers unraveling very complex legal matters when we need to be. It's about understanding what that real genuine client need and goal is. It's such a great point because oftentimes we work with lawyers, and this tends to emerge particularly on the litigation side of the house, but it can be true across the board, where the lawyers are fascinated with the complexities of the case or with the matter. And the last thing you want your lawyer to say after you've told them what your problem is, is, oh, this sounds like a really interesting case. Right. It's like, oh, God, interesting. That may be interesting to you. It could be bet the company for me. So getting to the heart of the matter, as you say, bottom lining it, really speaking the language of the client. The client is not interested in billable time. Right. That's a distinction that matters a lot on the law firm side. But what the client is looking for is take as little time as possible. Get me the solution. Let's get to, as you say, the heart of the matter. Let's bottom line this. Let's drive progress quickly, efficiently. I'm really not interested in all of the machinations that go into it. And so for lawyers to really understand that and resonate with that is absolutely a differentiator from where I sit. I'm interested in another differentiator that you've mentioned, which leads to this topic of DEI. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I'm very proud of our track record in DEI. We do so much uh, in this space. And I'd like to think that we have, again, been slightly ahead of the curve in terms of knowing the importance of diversity not just from a kind of race or gender orientation perspective, but also from diversity of thought uh, on our client service teams. That's a really big thing to us. We want to try and make sure that we're bringing the most diverse team along, um, both in experience as well as all the other aspects of DEI. We've won so many awards. Uh, I could bore you to death with them. I won't. But for me, you can't take away the importance that clients are using this as a differentiator. And it's been growing for a long time and the terrible events of George Floyd and others just put an even greater spotlight on the need for firms to recruit diversely, maintain diverse talent and educate our entire workforce around the importance of diversity in all aspects of it. We work really hard to make sure that we're fielding the most diverse teams that we can. We have a big role in that in terms of sort of business development and marketing, making sure everything from the panels that we put on for client events are really representative. Nothing breaks my heart than seeing an invitation go out, which has not got a diverse group of experts, panelists, speakers. I love the fact that one of our most recent pieces of thought leadership, which is around metaverse, Metaverse 2, it's actually the second iteration, the forward of it was written by trainees. And that was very deliberate on our part. And you could say, well, they're not trained attorneys yet, so why are we letting them loose? We're letting them loose because they really understand this subject matter. We're not going to be held back because they haven't actually fully qualified yet. They've got an opinion and it's valuable to us. And that's what I mean about diversity of thought. So I think sometimes you have to push through some of those traditional hierarchies and blocks and protocols to really bring that diversity out because it matters so much to clients. It's not going to go away. It's always going to be there for me. Um, I'd love to think in 50 years we're not having this conversation. I'd love to think in 20 years we're not having this conversation. But today, where we are in the market that we are, when we're thinking about differentiation, it is super important to me to bring every aspect of differentiation that you can. Not only, like I say, the color of someone's skin, but their lived experience. 
that is what is so important, that we bring that out in everything that we can do every single day. It's at the heart of the strategy of the firm. It's one of our main pillars of the firm. I'm sure pretty much every other law firm thinks about it in that way as well. I just think that what we are is a little bit more progressive in our thinking around how we use it. Right. This idea of having the trainees contribute their perspective is really interesting. And again, a bit of an outside the box notion. So often we're looking at panels of, you know, gray haired, long in the tooth, lots of experience, you know, sort of experts. This reminds me of a talk that I heard recently from a futurist named Erica Orange, and she said you should have a mentor from the Generation Z cohort to understand how young people today are starting to shape tomorrow's world. Don't always look to the most senior people for perspective. Certainly their experience is a very valuable asset in looking at any situation, but it's also outdated. You know, have a mentor who's 12, like ask them. How are you thinking? What do you think the future is going to look like? What's important to you? Because that's going to define what the world looks like, as you say, in 20 years or so. So just uh, really interesting. I love the way you think, Sadie. Tell me a little bit about this third differentiator, borrowing from the world of tech startups, agile marketing. Yeah, so this is something that's really close to my heart and something that, full transparency, I'm not there yet, but it's definitely something for my 2023 strategy for the function. I'm going to set the scene, if I may, a little bit. Right now, today, if I want to respond really quickly to either a macroeconomic situation, even something that's perhaps a little bit more planned, like a Brexit, I have to go and beg, borrow, steal, strong-arm volunteer members of my team into putting down their day job and turning their attention to whatever it is that we're trying to do. And that's just not sustainable for us as a function, because actually, they're the topics that the clients really want to know about, and they need fast responses And so I've been toying with this for some time and I was inspired by a wonderful lady um, who I met last year who's actually qualified in agile marketing and had actually implemented this in her own law firm. And this is about me thinking, how do I create an agile marketing resource within my headcount who are like a special ops ninja team who are not constrained by any of the hierarchy of my current function, probably report directly to me who I can deploy their skill set and they'd have a range of skills. There'd be writing skills, digital skills, possibly some business development sales skills in their campaigns, potentially, who I could just point at something and say, look, this has happened or this is something that's really important. I've got one fresh literally in my inbox today, which is coming off an article that was in a legal press here in the UK um, earlier this week around litigation funding. And with the recession next year, what is that really going to mean? And can you de-risk this for clients? And that's a complicated topic for us. You know, we're at every end of the spectrum on this, from the setting up of the funds to the defending of some of our major relationships. So we've got to navigate our way through that. But wouldn't it be fantastic if I actually had this little squad of people who I could say, right, here's the problem. Here's the response that I need. Go away and use agile marketing techniques. I want you to stress test it with clients. I want you to pivot or persevere. I want you to be fast to market. I don't want you to report to anybody other than me on it. And I've actually already agreed that this will be signed off by my global managing partner as well. So there's kind of not those huge levels of sign off. I'm not going to be popular with everybody in the firm all the time. I'm okay about that. 
what I am going to be is fast to market with opinion pieces that are going to help our clients navigate through these topics that matter to them in a really agile way. And when it's up, done, dusted, great, we'll get the results, we'll look at the ROI, we'll see did it work, did it not. Failing fast is fine with me. We'll probably fail quite a bit on some of this stuff. It's all right. We'll move on. That, to me, is what I think law firms are going to have to get their heads around in this super fast, super changing world that just is hugely unpredictable. I mean, VUCA is a term that we all need to kind of, I don't know, tattoo on our foreheads almost because it feels like it's one of those things that I'm constantly going to say, okay, what's next? What am I looking around the corner at next? And then how do I stand that all up? Let's contrast this agile marketing approach that you just described to the more traditional approach. So traditionally, what will happen is that the firm will say, oh, you know, we just conducted some client feedback and ESG is top of mind for clients or how to digitalize the business model. You know, I'm just pulling a few topics from the latest Thomson Reuters report. And so firms will say, okay, well, obviously we're going to need a partner to champion some effort here. So let's go to this partner. They're pretty forward thinking and let's form a committee around that partner. And now that partner is going to pull in some lawyers and maybe pull in some staff They're going to have a meeting and they're going to say, great, between billable hours, let's go and explore this. And three months later, nothing will have happened. Or the CMO will say, okay, I'm going to put together a task force from my own team of marketers and business developers, because, you know, these people obviously are more kind of oriented around looking at these things. They have some expertise in being able to research and ultimately assess and maybe provide recommendations on initiatives. So you have a meeting, you gather them together, sounds great. And then an RFP hits or... Then all of a sudden we're bogged down with some initiative that fills their plate with scut work and it's already been a year and we didn't do anything with this, right? Or we maybe put out one piece because that's all we could squeeze in between all of the other priorities. So this notion of having an agile group that is not fettered by other commitments, I think is so important and absolutely necessary for the firm, as you say, to be responsive and nimble. Absolutely. And look, I'm really lucky and I understand there'll be firms out there that haven't got the resources I've got. I'm lucky enough to have a project management office as well. So we'll be working really closely with our PMO because a huge part of the agile marketing process is project management. I'm not an expert in it. I don't understand all the terminologies. They use words like sprint and other bits and pieces. For me, though, this idea of having this resource, which does feel like a little bit of a luxury, I'm not going to lie, in a constrained market and an uncertain market next year to have three or four headcount potentially carved out to do this feels brave, but I've really pushed for it. And I think I'm hopefully going to get it. And even if I have to carve it out of existing resources, because I genuinely feel that this idea that we've got to be able to break down these barriers, because as you've just described, an average campaign for us today, even on a topic that's really quite important. And we go back to COVID days when COVID broke and we all literally turned upside down and had to pivot to much more digital marketing and bombard and spam our clients till they screamed, please stop. We've learned from that, but it's still three to six months. An average campaign is three to six months. That's just too long. Clients have moved on from there. I'm not saying that there can't be longer thought leadership, white paper stuff. There's a range of activities you need to do. But I am talking about these sort of fast to market opinion pieces that are news breaking and you're tracking them and you've probably got, I don't know, maybe only two to six weeks before you've got to get it up 
tested out and either scaled and delivered or stopped and you move on to something else and yeah I'm going to give it a go for sure maybe we should come back and do a a podcast in a year's time and I'll tell you how well I'm doing with it. (laughs) Well, I will predict how well you're doing with it. I will predict that you will discover that tech startups might not be as insane uh, as we think. Now, when we compare to the law firm model, it does feel like a luxury. Oh, we've got a team of people whose sole purpose is to help the firm be innovative. What? Uh, Let's not do that because it (laughs) seems wasteful. But again, that's through the lens of how law firms think. If you look at tech startups, and I dare say one or two of them have been pretty successful, uh, there's some Something to be said for this notion of dedicating smart people to look ahead of the curve and pull in the ideas, resources, and initiatives that will ultimately help that organization grow. And we've just been fortunate enough, and again, this is very visionary on my global managing partners part, we've actually employed some industry analysts. So I've kind of got that big brain thinking perspective and they bridge the world of economics and politics change and law and so when they've got these great ideas which is what their job is to do and our job then is to have we take them to market so I think I've got a fighting chance of making this happen thanks to having an excellent PMO and now these brand new industry analysts who are going to add the thought leadership to us if you like add the ideas give us the directions of where we need to go um, and then we'll take it on and give it a go so yeah wish me luck but I'm looking forward to it. One of the things that I appreciate about what you've done here is not only have you set the stage for this initiative thoughtfully, but you have anticipated the biggest challenge that is likely to surface, which is execution. And so you're already including this project management piece, recognizing that, again, if we look at traditionally what law firms do, they stumble when it comes to implementation. They get derailed by all these other priorities, and they're not following concepts like what is our objective for this sprint? How many sprints is this ultimately going to take? Let's have weekly stand-ups to make sure that we're in regular communication feedback loops on how things are going. Let's look at the end of every two or three sprints at what were our learnings and how are we going to implement those learnings and adapt, right? These are principles that make so much sense in the context of getting things done and yet really aren't integrated into the daily life of running a law firm. No, they're really not. And I understand the challenges as to why they're not, which is why um, I think I'm quite determined that this group's going to report to me and I'm going to report to my global managing partner. I think if you try and build in these checks and balances, you're going to fail. You've got to have that kind of sign-off process that's super streamlined on this. And yeah, we're going to get it wrong. And that's okay. And that's a really alien concept in law firms, the idea of failure. But for me, I'm okay with that, as long as we're not going to do anything that's going to damage a client's reputation or something that's absolutely fundamentally wrong. And I don't think we're going to be playing in that space because we will have had this input of these very sensible, thoughtful and big brained industry analysts. Um, Yeah, what's the worst that goes wrong? It doesn't work out as we say it's going to. Okay, well, it was our opinion. Off we go. I'm good with that. Well, I appreciate your position. I appreciate your willingness to be relevant to our times, or perhaps even the times of 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, But again, law firms aren't necessarily the first to innovate when it comes to new approaches. But good on you for taking this on. And I am very interested in celebrating your wins a year from now, as you discover that uh, the initiative was successful. I have a question for you uh, as we look to wrap up here, which is other firms are going to be listening to this 
probably with a little bit of envy because many of them will be saying, you know, every year I have all of these great ideas. I have all of these strategies I look to implement. And then most of them never have a chance to be successful because we get so wrapped up in the tactical and we get so wrapped up in the momentum of things that we've already set in motion, but we're under-resourced to implement. Uh, what is something that you would say to those firms, something that you would advise that they can at least begin to think about as they try to lean toward this concept of agile marketing? So I think uh, we touched on it a little bit earlier. Have a good think about things that you could stop outsource, get somewhere else done in the business. Um, I think if I'm typical of a CMO, there's a swathe of admin and, and stuff that gets dumped into marketing because there's nowhere else for it to be done. So I would encourage any leader of a marketing function to try and identify that and try and find the right home for it. Make sure that you are exceptionally good friends with your fellow peers in the chief's group. I, you know, I sent an email just earlier today to our head of practice administration saying, hey, can I get on your calendar because there's this going on and I'm just interested to have a conversation. We operate as a group of chiefs as one group. We support each other. I think build that relationship is super important if you want to be able to free up time within your own function. So have a think about what is probably being done in your function that could be done more efficiently elsewhere. Look at outsourcing if you have the budget for it. Um, we work really closely with an outsourced agency now to do PowerPoint presentations because they were just taking up hours of time of the business developers. For not a huge sum of money, we've been able to find a really fantastic resource. So think about, kind of think a bit more laterally about what's being done in your function. The second thing I would say is have a go. I should have a t-shirt made with this and I should wear it on podcasts that says forgiveness rather than permission. I think sometimes just have a go and see what's the worst that can happen. And I hope that's not that you lose your job, but be sensible about where you're brave. But try and carve out a project that's going to make a difference because success breeds success. Gamification works fantastically well in law firms and I am not afraid to use it to talk about oh look what this partner did over here wouldn't that be amazing and oh you're missing out oh well maybe I can help you do that to try and do more of the right stuff and less of the wrong stuff and the way I went about it right in the very beginning of when I was thinking about sort of the stuff that I wanted us to do as a function and the stuff that I wanted us as a function to be more worked out with basically every task that I came across that I knew we did in a marketing function. I wrote it on a post-it note and I stuck it on a wall. And honest to God, it looked like a yellow armadillo after about three months. It was just covered. But what it enabled me to do was cluster some of those tasks together. Very simple technique, but it helped me work out what resources I needed to do and where I needed to put resources and how I needed to right-size the team, how I needed to move the deck chairs around effectively. And it was a really eye-opening opportunity to do an exercise to do because what happened is that partners would walk past my office and wonder what the hell it was. And then they came in and they started playing with it. So I got really engagement through that process as well. So super little simple tip, but if you can find a way of getting engagement with the partners around doing more of the right things and less of the wrong things, then that's better. Be brave, think about outsourcing. And finally, I would say, look, I make an offer to anybody that's listening to this. I've probably seen it, done it, been there, cried about it, laughed about it. If you want to reach out to me personally, you can find me on the Reed Smith website. I'll happily talk to anybody about what they're going through because finding those friends who are doing a similar job and sharing some of those pain points, but also sharing ideas is super helpful to me. I'm really blessed with a fantastic cohort of CMO peers who every day 
I can interact with, I encourage everybody to try and have the same because probably someone has seen it before and done it before. Well, I appreciate your generous spirit and I appreciate your global managing partner's willingness to think in a progressive way uh, and really give you the platform to do some of this experimenting. Again, I look forward to hearing how it all goes. Sadie, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and really appreciate your sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you so very much as well. Today's episode was brought to you by Ackert, the company that solves business development problems for professionals around the world. Visit ackertinc.com to learn more about our consulting, coaching, and technology solutions.